Hi, everybody. I don't think I heard anything. Maybe I'm disconnected. Oh, I got you now. Um, great to be here. Ezra Levant here on Wednesday. I almost missed the moment there. I don't think my, my headset was working. Can you say a quick hello to me to make sure? Yeah, I've got you now. Perfect. Hi, everybody. And by that, I mean the folks watching on superu.net, the folks watching on rumble.com, the folks on youtube.com, and the folks on odyssey.com. It's nice to stream in four different platforms. Um, an innovation we did um, unwillingly at first because YouTube deplatformed us, but or demonetized us, and then suspended us for a week. But it's forced us into this whole new world of competition, where there are other services, better services, freer services. And it's great to take those steps now before we're totally killed by YouTube. So when that day comes where they finally give us the guillotine, uh, our people know that we will live on other platforms. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, I'm also delighted to say that one of these four platforms now allows people to give us tips, little donations, which is what we um, used to rely on from YouTube. YouTube has something called a Super Chat, and Super Chats were the main source of revenue we had from YouTube. They had basically demonetized us from everything else. We were on track to make about 400 grand a year from YouTube that was cut off. So folks who liked doing that, and I thank you for it, uh, superu.net now has that function. And I've also heard that uh, that function will be coming to rumble.com. And I suppose I should mention that Odyssey uh, already has that function in the form of their cryptocurrency called Library. Anyways, let's get to the news of the day. There's so many interesting little things out there. Uh, I have on my little page here that's uh, put together by Justin every day, I got some really good ones. Holy cow. Uh, Joe Biden met with uh, Vladimir Putin today. How did that go? Um, that's like uh, a lion and a little um, doddering old mutton. Is mutton just the meat? I think, uh, I think an old sheep. Um, I sort of I, I feel bad for Biden that he was put into that situation. We didn't have cameras in the room obviously, for the bulk of that conversation. But let me show you what it might have been like in the room between Biden and Putin. Putin, he's 10 years younger than Biden, but he's clearly uh, got all his functions, his, his mentality, his cognitive ability. Biden um, is the kind of guy that his staff make him wear those, those uh, mittens with the string on them so you don't lose them. And uh, here's Biden at the NATO meeting, just mumbling. And um, would you want this guy going toe-to-toe with Vladimir Putin on your behalf? Take a listen to him at the NATO meeting. And uh, I've said before, and I apologize for repeating, oh, I didn't, I'm just telling you, you're taking on this I'm leaving out a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is it's happening. I used to. Oh my God! And we, um, you know, just uh, you know, the get back to the 
Holy mackerel. You know, it's amazing that he got through those debates in the U.S. presidential election. I think they had him like in a cryo chamber, pumping him with oxygen, giving him all sorts of meds just to give him like a, few, a burst of, of uh, lucidity. But I guess you can't do that on an extended trip. G7, NATO, Putin, he's, he, he's not up for it. Uh, Donald Trump had a phrase he would use, high energy. He would call his um, opponents low energy, low energy Jeb. It's true, Jeb Bush was low energy, but Jeb Bush at least was still had his mental faculties. Um, what you saw there, Joe Biden, is um, proof to the world that Joe Biden is not actually the leader of the United States. Now, I know he holds the office and and technically de jure he is the president but does anyone really think he's the one making the decisions um he's got cue cards with him a lot where word for word things are written out for him do you have the cue cards um he was going into a meeting with putin and he had his lines written out you know when i was a kid we called those you know, mittens with the, with the string on them that you put inside your snowsuit you, so you don't lose your mittens. They were called idiot strings. That's, I know that's, that wouldn't be used today because that's too mean, but that's what they were called. I don't know, I'm sure, sure that's a nicer name for them now, like forgetful strings or don't lose. So you see, he's got there um, little pieces of paper with typed up messages that someone wrote for him, and he studies those, and we know that because he was using them um, at the G7. Can you just Google G7 Biden uh, notes? Because you can see, I mean, they're really lame talking points too, by the way. But they're, they're very basic, like just almost sort of, you are Joe Biden, you are the president, you are in this city, you are at this meeting. They're, it's the kind of thing that, that an Alzheimer's patient would put on sticky notes around the house. You have three children, their names are these. You have six grandchildren, their names are these. Um, it's, you know, it's a sign of mental decline. It's not funny um, when the President of the United States has those little Alzheimer's post-it notes. It's um, worrying. I don't think I'm making fun of people for having a declining mental state. I mean, I think because the life expectancy, especially in the in the free world, is so long now. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, it's in the 80s in many places. You live so long because many diseases have been cured and lifestyle is better and food is better that you're going to see more dementia, I think. I, I think when the average life expectancy was in the 30s, you probably didn't see a lot of dementia or senility, right? People would be dead before then. So I'm not laughing at Joe Biden. I'm, I guess if I'm laughing at anyone, it would be the American media who did their best to hide this, but you can't really hide it. And Putin can see through it, don't you think, a former KGB agent can pretty quickly cut through things. Um, so that's embarrassing.
Um, yeah, you know what? If if you can find on Twitter, there's yeah, that's exactly it. So those are typed up cards for him to speak. Um, on Twitter, I don't know how you. So don't search for a video, but there's some folks who have managed to get like a close up of those, and. It really is those post-it notes that Alzheimer's patients stick on the fridge just to remind them their name and what city they're in and the name of their family and things like that. Um, I don't think Donald Trump had had notes written by other people telling him what to say when he was at NATO or meeting with Putin. In fact, um, I saw some old Trump staffer today uh, was tweeting pictures that it was Putin who had the notes when he was meeting with Trump, not the other way around. And yeah, it's not um, that important that you find those notes, but it was sort of pitiful. Um, you'd think that a president would know what to say about Russia or China because they're on his mind all the time. He's been thinking about them for months or years. He's had countless briefings and yeah, so look at that. Biden fiddles with flashcard featuring anti-Trump talking points during press conference in England. The president, DOJ talking points. Trump abused power. Trump Department of Justice out of control. Now we have to clean it up. I've made it clear this DOJ will reflect my values and principles and priorities, not Donald Trump's. They include respect. So, like these are, these aren't even, like, I can imagine maybe you write down facts and figures that you might forget, like a percentage of this, or if there's a name of someone that you, like, you don't know well, you write the name down. If there's some technical thing, but you really need someone to write down for you, we don't like Trump. We have to clean it up. We're, like, you have to, you really have to write this down? I have three children. Their names are this, like, I'll, listen, I'll be honest with you. If you ask me to tell you the name, if you ask me to tell me the name of all my kids, I could do it. If you asked me to tell me their birthdays, I would do it, but I would have to think it through. Now, I don't have grandkids, but if I had 10 grandkids, I admit I'd probably have a tough time remembering 10 birthdays. That's the kind of thing you put on a card. 10 birthdays, uh, the name of this general, you know, you go to a NATO meeting, there's a bunch of countries there. You can't remember the defense minister of every country or the general. So that's the kind of thing you put on a flashcard, right? Like the, the stuff, like just a, a bullet point. You, you don't say, my name is Joe Biden. Pause. Uh, and and, and you're, you're at the G7 in the UK. And it's June. And the, the US presidential election was November. So December, October, no, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, seven months ago. It's been seven months and 13 days or whatever it was. And your talking point in the UK is bashing Trump. That's what's on your mind. You're at the G7. That's the meaning of the, the seven Western democracies. It should, I think it should include India. I think India should be invited into that. And you're, and you're kvetching about Trump. That's pitiful from a number of points of view. But the fact that someone had to write that down on a card for you, that's super pitiful. 
Um, Hyperchat from Rocks for NE. I found one good thing about Biden. He makes Trudeau sound coherent. Yeah, well, you know what? I was thinking about this. Who is dumber? So, you know, you got Joe Biden who's losing his cognitive edge. And you got Trudeau who's not anywhere close to um, dementia. Um, He is in full control of his faculties. But he's just so dumb. That's not the same as Alzheimer's. Who is dumber, Joe Biden or Justin Trudeau? Now that is a puzzle that you can turn over in your mind for a long time. Uh, Keeping on the foreign affairs theme, I want to show you uh, quite an interview on the CBC. Now, I I don't really watch the CBC a lot, but unfortunately, I'm compelled to pay for it anyways. And um, Rosemary Barton, who... If you look at what she's called on the screen, she's called a CBC reporter. But never forget that Rosemary Barton um, was the plaintiff when the CBC sued the Conservative Party of Canada right in the middle of the 2019 election. Rosemary Barton was the plaintiff. Even as she was reporting on the Conservatives, she was suing the Conservatives. Never forget how unethical she is. So... She'll sue the Conservative Party of Canada. That's how much she hates them. But look at how she talks to the dictator, the Islamist extremist who runs Pakistan. Take a look at this. It appears it was uh, one person uh, radicalized in some way on his own who did this. What is it that government should be doing, for instance, to shut down online hate toward Muslims? I think there should be a very strict action against this because, you see, these... uh hate uh, websites which which again as i said would divide divide humanity by creating hatred ignorant about the other human community and you you target them and and, and uh, uh, this hate material and especially with the growing social media uh, and social media is a, is it completely you know the world is just coming to grips with it because it's a new phenomenon uh, and and Unfortunately, I mean, while, while there are so many benefits of social media, it's changing the whole world. But this one particular bit when there are these hate websites which, uh, which create hatred amongst human beings, there should be an international action against them. And, and what would that look like to you, Prime Minister? What would be the, the mechanism for doing that, if you will? Whenever the international community, and by that I mean the world community, the world leaders, whenever they decide upon taking action, this will be dealt with. The problem is at the moment there is not enough motivation. Some international leaders or leaders in the Western countries actually don't don't understand this phenomena. They too think that the Muslims are these weird people who have these weird customs and they need to be put in place. So it just needs to be brought together and there has to be understanding. And this yeah. can be promoted by world leaders. Do you plan to reach out to Justin Trudeau to have a conversation about this? Yes, I will. Uh, I've I've had previous conversations with Justin Trudeau as well, and I have to say we mostly agree with uh, with most things. You know, um, there's a lot of incredible things there. I think one of the incredible things was. Who brought up the subject of censorship? You can see that clip starts. They were talking about uh, the the killing in London of a family on a road. And 
Trudeau says it was terrorism. We've since learned that the killer had severe mental issues, was in counseling, was an emancipated teen, was violent before. We don't know the facts yet. We just don't know them. Was he motivated by anti-Muslim malice? Was he just crazy? Was he acting alone? I don't know. Um, we won't find out till it goes to court. But Rosemary Barton of the CBC is, is certain it's Islamophobia. And she, she's interviewing the Prime Minister of Pakistan, um, an Islamist regime, a belligerent terrorist-supporting regime, a censorious regime. They're talking about Islam. I'm not sure if I would go to an Islamic dictator uh, who was, um, you know, Pakistan was, <laughs> that's where they captured Osama bin Laden. He was hiding in that country. Um, I'm not sure if I'd go to uh, a brutal dictator like that uh, for, and I know he's, I'd call him an authoritarian rather than a dictator. Let me, let me say it that way. Um, is he really your best go-to for what Canada should do? Is that really? Well, in the mind of, of Rosemary Barton it was. But who brought up censorship? Not the authoritarian ruler of Pakistan. The CBC journalist did. Which isn't surprising, because she's the one that sued the Conservative Party of Canada to shut them down. It's in her blood. She's a censor. She hates other points of view. She hates them enough that she'll use taxpayers' dollars to sue the Conservative Party right in the middle of the election. She's covering as a reporter. She brought up censorship. She said, hey, authoritarian thug, do you think we should censor people? Do you think we should crack down on the media? And he said, yeah. And she didn't press him. She didn't reflect any Canadian values of free speech because she knows that Justin Trudeau and Stephen Gilbo, her bosses, they're planning on censoring Twitter. So she's just trying to find allies for Trudeau. That was so, so, so gross. Now, Justin, while we were playing that, I sent you a couple of emails. Did you get them? Um, and I receive emails like this from time to time. Just put any one of them up if you can. Yeah, I don't think my email is a secret. I think a gazillion people have it. So I have a bunch of emails. So if you want to email me, Ezra at rebelnews.com is the best. So can you pump that up a bit um, and show me the date on that? So I get a bunch of these. This is one fairly recently, right? September 2019. From Twitter Legal, subject, Twitter Receipt of Correspondence, September 9th, 1919. Hello, Ezra Levant. In the interest of transparency, we are writing to inform you that Twitter has received a request from Pakistan regarding your Twitter account, Ezra Levant, that claims the following content violates the law of the country. Um, and then if you click on it, you'll see it there. I think this is the cartoon, Danish cartoon. Anyways, it goes on, and I get these all the time. The government of Pakistan is complaining to Twitter all the time about me. And, yeah, that's what it was. I put that up, I think, in solidarity with the attack on the Bataclan or something. Or, or uh, no, sorry, not the Bataclan, um, Charlie Hebdo. Anyways, so uh, that's illegal in Pakistan. So the government of Pakistan, I'm in Canada. 
Twitter's in California, but Pakistan wants Twitter in California to censor me in Canada. They're in Pakistan shouting it uh, at the wind. And that's who Rosemary Barton um, gives a tongue bath to. Can you call up my, when I went to the Media Freedom Conference uh, two years ago with Sheila, remember that? And um, I think I, I know I've shown this before, but indulge me for a moment. So I was at this huge Media Freedom Conference in the UK, co-sponsored by Canada, which is such a laugh. And they had the agenda, it was written on paper. They also had an app. A lot of conferences these days have an app, right? It's just in your phone and you can sort of schedule things and find things, it's just a handy way. So I was so interested in this conference. I was there with Sheila and we had a cameraman there and um, our friend Andrew Lawton was there from True North. So um, I read everything in the entire conference agenda. Like I read it cover to cover because I wanted to choose what to go to. And it was in this very big building. There was lots of great snacks, very important to me. And um, Sheila was there, and our cameraman, Ed, was there. Was it What a great guy. And, you know, it was like a two- or three-day thing, so you get a little tired. You sit down. And I walked into this huge room. Like, there, it was in this huge complex. I walked into this huge, 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 huge room that was almost empty. And I thought, I really don't know what's going on here, but it's empty. I just need to rest my weary bones and take out my laptop, check emails, whatever, you know. I thought I walked into an empty room because it was 99% empty. Um, and there was nothing on the conference agenda about anything in this room at this time. I'm telling you that because I checked. Uh, I thought I was just sitting down, like not in a lounge, but I had found an empty room. And there was maybe 20 people in there. And I walk in, and I realize, oh, I can't just sit here for a quiet minute. There's actually something going on in here that was off the menu. You know, there's some restaurants that they have like a secret menu, you know? Or if you know the chef, you can say, hey, chef, it's not on the menu, but can I order up something special? And if he knows you, he'll do it. So I stumbled into a secret part of this Media Freedom Conference that was off the menu, that was not in the app, that was not in the printed schedule. I literally stumbled in there by accident because I just wanted to sit down. I came in midway through. I didn't know it had started. So I go near the front, and I, they didn't properly identify who was there. So I could tell that the guy speaking took me a minute. I could tell he was from Pakistan. And he was saying how Pakistan is so free. And I'm thinking, this is a media freedom conference. Pakistan is not free. It's extremely unfree. Well, that's another point. Um, <laughs> let me just interrupt my own story. Rosemary Barton did not ask, not only did Rosemary Barton suggest to um, the Pakistani PM censorship, she didn't ask him about the punishment of Ahmadiyya Muslims, which are... Uh, a persecution of a Muslim minority in Pakistan. Didn't ask him about the persecution of Christians. Certainly didn't ask him about the censorship in social media. So I'm in this room in London. 
And I don't know who's on the stage because, I, again, I can't find it in my book. I can't find it in my app. It's not on the wall. I stumbled into this secret little get-together, and no one kept me out. So I sit down, and I, I, mean, I can hear the accent, and they're talking about Pakistan, but I don't know who this guy is, other than he's like Rosemary Barton. He's a liar. He's lying about Pakistan and pretending that Pakistan, one of the most authoritarian countries in the world, is free. And I just can't believe it. And I, I, I just showed you one of the emails I get from Pakistan uh, Twitter. I, I don't know. Maybe it happens once a year. But I've received a bunch of them. Take my word for it. I think I sent you a second one, right? Like if I just look through my old emails, I could probably find five of them. So I'm always getting these notes from Pakistan. Actually, the, the complaint goes from Pakistan to Twitter, and then Twitter complains to me. Sometimes they take it down. Um, sometimes they require me to take it down, actually. Um, so I'm sitting there at a media freedom conference, and some guy on the stage, and I don't know who he is, is saying, we are very free. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. Not, on, not, on, not only are you brutal at home, not only do you support terrorists, not only did you give refuge to Osama bin Laden, not only do you persecute Muslim minorities like the Ahmadiyya Muslims, not only do you murder and otherwise persecute Christians, but you're a wicked liar. You're trying to censor me in Canada. So, again, I stumbled into this secret get-together, and there was, there was someone else on the stage from another country, and I didn't find it that interesting. And then the moderator says, all right, are there any questions? Well, I got a question. But the moderator says, you can't ask the guy from Pakistan. And I'm thinking, I'm in a media party, media freedom conference. I'm going to ask whatever I damn well please. So I say, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I take the mic from the guy. And do you think I'm going to obey him? Some little bureaucrat who says, don't ask the Pakistani gentleman any prickly questions. Be like Rosemary Barton. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. I mean, there's a certain physical resemblance between me and Rosemary Barton, but that's where it ends. Uh, we disagree on everything. I'm not going to be like her. I'm not going to be a pro-Pakistan, pro-sensitive journalist. So I get the mic, and I, I don't know who I'm talking to at the time, other than he's with the Pakistan government. I did not realize that this was the foreign minister of Pakistan. <laughs> Anyways, here's how that went. Really sorry, but we're kind of running out of time, and we've got the panel uh, session. I wonder if there are any questions, very briefly, uh, for Minister Popovsky. I see there are not. There is one. Yes. Very quick one. Thanks. Actually, I'm not going to be directed by you. I'm going to ask a question to the Pakistani gentleman. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm, because I'm, it's a media freedom conference, and you're not going to shut down questions about a censor. You censored me, sir. I have a Twitter account in Canada, and because I wrote something that produced some Pakistani blasphemy law, you complained to Twitter, which took down my tweet in Canada. So can you explain why your Islamic supremacy in Pakistan is silencing my personal and journalistic freedom in Canada, and I know it happens in the United States too. And frankly, you sure should be embarrassed to invite a censor like this. But back to the thug 
Who the hell are you to censor me in Canada? Answer. Now, I, I, don't, I don't like. I know you don't because you don't like free speech. I don't like. You don't like free speech. Okay. Would you like to answer? Yeah, I just, I just respond to you, sir. First of all. Okay. You want your sentiments to be respected. Just look at the tone and the talent you've adopted. Is that the correct way? You have a right to ask questions. Well, then why did you censor me? Did I censor you? You shut down my Twitter tweet. I did not. Don't lie. How can I? How am I responsible for that? Because the government of I Pakistan did. The government of I Pakistan. To you. No, you were not. You I, censored me. I did not censor you. Don't lie. All right. Why would I lie? Because that's what you do. Okay. Okay. I'm, you don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Shame on you and shame on you. Shame on you and shame on you for inviting him. Shame on you. You censorious thug. You censorious thug. And what you call freedom at times, you are projecting certain sectoral agendas. What do you think of that? You know, whenever I, I use the word thug, it's a generic placeholder for a swear, because I knew I shouldn't swear. And I didn't. I got through that whole thing without swearing, right? But I had swears in my mind. But I was very polite. I'm famously polite. Um, he was lying. I've shown you right there one of several emails that I've received from Twitter saying that the Pakistan government itself demanded I be censored. So when he said... I wasn't being censored. And when he said I wasn't being censored by Pakistan, he's a liar. And um, you can see some security guard came over to me, and I didn't want to be kicked out of the conference. I had flown all the way from Canada to, to London to be part of it. My friend Sheila Gunn-Reed was with me right there, which was pretty fun. She's the one who was filming it. Um, I don't think the uh, foreign minister of Pakistan, and I did not know who he was, Justin, <laughs> like that's a pretty big big shot I don't think he ever has been spoken to that way in his life other than maybe by people just before he kills them or something in one of his secret prisons um, what I learned after that like I was stunned to learn who he was uh, I thought he was just some liar yeah he's a liar who happens to be the foreign minister um, and I, I don't want to ask you to find it now because it's probably pretty hard to find uh, but Christia Freeland was the co-host of this conference back then, which is such a laugh. Um, she had secret meetings with him. She had secret meetings with the foreign minister of Pakistan, one of the world's worst censors, at a World Press Freedom Conference. I know I tweeted about it. Um, and I'm having trouble finding it now. So how did I learn they had secret meetings if uh, they were secret? Like, it can't really be secret, right? Because he tweeted about it. He published it. When you meet with a grubby little dictator like Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, when you're a Western Democrat, you're giving him an amazing proof that you're normalized, you're not a bad person. Um, I'm just trying to find... You know, he put it on his Facebook. Let me, let me see if I can find it. 
he deleted it after I tweeted it. Anyways, I won't spend more time on it. He tweeted that to show off to the Prime Minister of Pakistan, to show off to the people of Pakistan that he was polite company, according to Christian Freeland. Christian Freeland did not tweet it, did not public, publish anywhere that she had met with that thug. I stumbled upon it by accident. And what, so anyway, so I, that was the whole interaction. You saw that one blonde cop come up to me and say, sit down. And I did, because I had made my point, wasn't going to, there was not much more to say. Um, There were some other people there who were actually democracy activists who cared about Pakistan. And as I walked out of the room, I was sort of surrounded. And I was, and all these folks are from Pakistan. And I'll be honest with you, my first thought was, uh uh-oh, these are secret police who are trying to rough me up or threaten me because of what I just said to their boss. No. One of them uh, was a Pakistani democracy activist. Can you find that, that video? I wonder how we would, because it was from, that would have been 2009, I think. So I was surrounded by all these guys from Pakistan, and I thought, shoot, this is the, his private entourage or something. No. It was folks who were amazed that anyone had spoken back like that. I, and I just found it. I'm going to send you the link. And can you play a moment of this? Um, so here's one of the guys who came up to me immediately after. He couldn't believe it. I was worried this guy was like a cop. But no, he. so I said, well, let's talk for a minute. And I was still, well, who are you? Who are you? And uh, did you get that link I sent you there? You know, just uh, just put, put it up. It's only four minutes long. Let's take a look. question to the Pakistani gentleman. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Because it's a media freedom conference, and you're not going to shut down questions about a censor. You censored me, sir. I have a Twitter account in Canada, and because I wrote something that traduced some Pakistani blasphemy law, you complained to Twitter, which took down my tweet in Canada. So can you explain why your Islamic supremacy in Pakistan is silencing my personal and journalistic freedom in Canada, and I know it happens in the United States too. And frankly, you sure should be embarrassed to invite a censor like this. But back to the thug, who the hell are you to censor me in Canada? Answer. Irfan, after I asked the, the foreign minister a tough question, you came up to me. At first, I thought you were maybe an enforcer of his, but the opposite. The Pakistani government has uh, censored you too, haven't they? Uh, thank you very much for your time. You know, the first question which I asked you, uh, the minister, I'm really shocked when coming to this uh, world organization, like the conference where the whole world is watching you and, and putting a show to the world that in Pakistan, the media is free, which is not. The three channels have been taken off the air, right? And this is something really um, like uh, disturbing for all the journalists because we don't know where we stand as a free journalist and what we have to do. Because the reason was uh, during the time when the PTI government in Pakistan, right? They were campaigning for the election. The 20 the channels in Pakistan were actually showing the street power of PTI uh, without any discrimination because this is everybody has a right to come in the street and talk about. But this is what happens in democracies. But 
recently, uh, since this government came into power, right, uh, most of the media houses in Pakistan are actually controlled in, in their own way that you cannot show this, you cannot show this. There's a lot of censorship going on, right? The question was, during the press conference of um, uh, the political rival of the foreign uh, ministers, uh, Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, Maryam Namaz, who is the daughter of uh, the ex-prime minister in Pakistan, right? And uh, during her press conference, these channels have been taken off the air because what she was actually coming up with the evidence, what exactly happened uh, with that particular judge, who um, who actually admitting the fact that uh, the whole decision uh, in the case of uh, the Prime Minister of Pakistan was influenced by s uh, some power corridors, wow. right? And tell me, uh, you mentioned just before we turn the camera on that you yourself, that your media outlet has been censored. Tell me a little bit more about that. You said you were taken off the air? Yeah, in the most part of the country, 24 News is not um, uh, live and uh, there's a message came on the screen. There's a technical error. Uh, but it wasn't a technical error, was it? Technical error. Everybody knows where the error was and, you know, it's just more like a censorship which the Pakistan media is uh, actually facing right now. Let me ask you one last question. I know you're very busy. Thanks for talking with me. How did you feel as a journalist who's been censored by the government of Pakistan to see the foreign minister of Pakistan on stage being given the red carpet treatment? But you know what? That's, that's, that's the thing. When you come to a world platform like this and uh, if you have to put the ball in somebody else's court, right? Oh, this is not my job. I'm the foreign minister. This is a Pamela who is doing in Pakistan, the regulatory body in Pakistan. Then why you are here? send somebody who is the representative of the PAMRA so we can actually address to the people the right people the right question if you believe that I think uh, this absolutely defined the values of uh, the journalism in Pakistan if someone of that level coming to uh, media conferences like this I think this they're just filling the uh, filling the blanks and it's not nothing more than that Irfan thanks very much for talking with us and good luck you are on the front lines of free speech and I hope you stay strong thank you very much I, thank you very much nice to meet you thank you well, what do you think of that I enjoyed meeting that guy, uh, and I was really glad that he was there, and he was shocked like me that uh, Shah Mahmoud Qureshi, the foreign minister of Pakistan, was invited to be there. He obviously knew about it. I don't know how he knew about it. I literally was looking just for a place to sit down. <laughs> you know, half of journalism and half of politics is just being there, you know. So uh, there you go. Um, <clears throat> I, you know what? That that was a fun interaction. I, you know, things like that. Your your heart beat goes up. You're 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 worried you're going to stumble over your own tongue. You have to get it right the first time. Those are the, in journalism. A lot of things are waiting or pondering. But then there's those moments where you got to be on. And for me, I want to make sure I don't swear. And uh, I want to make sure I can succinctly say the facts in a way that viewers understand, even if the answerer doesn't answer. But I, I thought that, you know, I should tell you, I don't know, Justin, if you remember, that threw uh, a cat amongst the pigeons. Holy moly. Because everyone like Irfan there, the, the, the democracy journalist, they said, this is shocking. And <clears throat> my phone was ringing. Pretty much, I mean, there's a lot of Pakistani folks in London. That's where this conference was. I got so many people from different uh, expat Pakistan newspapers and TV and radio stations were all shocked. Like this became, this went viral in the Pakistani media because no one had ever 
spoken to this censorious thug that way, and no one certainly used those words. Anyways, that was pretty exciting. I remember that. And uh, so that's how I deal with censorious thugs from Pakistan. A little bit different than how my doppelganger, Rosemary Barton, deals with them. She's more like, hi, can I, can I get you, a, can I be your concierge today? Hi, is there anything else I can get you as your waiter today? That's Rosemary Barton's approach to Pakistan um, censorship. Mine is a little bit more vigorous. I don't know. To each their own. Um, that was fun. I want to um, show you a little video from Israel. We're doing some foreign affairs now. And Israel, I'm uncomfortable with some of the things they've done in the pandemic. They locked down very hard. They've really pushed the vaccines. And I think these vaccines are dangerous. And I say that because I see reports of side effects. But mainly I say that because we just don't have all the facts yet. And I say that because they're not done being tested yet. Most medicines, especially vaccines, are tested for literally years on different groups and different doses with different questions, different variables, that is. How will this affect pregnant mothers? How will it affect breastfeeding mothers? How will it affect fertility? How will it affect, you know, so many questions that you just can't figure out if you rush something to market in six months. And, but even in the year and a half since we got into this mess, we've learned so much more about the disease and who it doesn't affect. It doesn't affect children in a deadly way. There are some children who die from it, but the rate is so low that it doesn't justify the risks of, an, of a vaccine that is not yet approved, that's authorized only for emergency use. Um, they were crazy with the masks, crazy with everything, but I see that they've lifted their masks mandate. We got a little video of that, take a look. אני רוצה להודיע לכם שבהחלטת הממשלה הוחלט שמהיום לא צריך מסכות גם kids are pretty happy. It sounds like the teacher's happy, too. Um, of course, places like Florida have been mask-free for much longer. Um, but Israel had such a harsh lockdown, it's good to see they're out of it. And that video seems like it was sort of hyped up by the teacher. Uh, like, I wouldn't call that a, a completely authentic video. It felt like, it, I'm not going to say staged, but the teacher... Um, clearly want to make a demonstration. I'm glad she did. And by the way, I believe those kids are being honest. They hate masks. 
and they hate the pressure of it, they hate the alienation of it. And I think that was genuine joy on their part. Um, maybe it's not the, the case everywhere in Canada, certainly not everywhere in the West, not everywhere in America, but in some parts, in, in some of the cities, in some of the liberal enclaves, mask fetishization has taken on such a deep psychological hold on people. I would call it like a superstition, like a cult. I won't say like a religion because it's not that thought through. It's a cult. It's a, it's a, it's a fashion. It's a virtue signal. It's a, it's a symbol of in-group and out-group. I wear a mask, so I'm better than you, and so I can condemn you if you're not wearing a mask, and to protect me from you condemning me. Uh, the mask has taken on a life of its own. So it's good to see that in Israel, at least that class and that teacher are throwing it out. Um, how are we doing for time? 12.44, I see a couple more chats. Blue Jetty on Odyssey, one library. You're a cute and cuddly doppelganger. Yeah. Bingo. Thank you, Ezra and Rebel Reporters, for standing up for the truth and freedom. Shout out to Justin. On Rumble, Chrissy's Kingdom. Oh, oh, yeah, the video may have been planned, but the joy is real. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, I'm going to show you a video, and it's taken from YouTube, and we're not going to play the whole thing. So this is on YouTube, and the channel it was on, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was a, a mainstream channel. This was on Stephen Colbert's show. It was Jon Stewart. It's on their own channel. So it couldn't be more official, more Hollywood liberal, more fancy pants. If this video were, say, on Rebel News three months ago, it would have been used to demonetize us or suspend us or cancel us. And that's one of the weird things here is the absolute liberal icon, John Stewart, who for a decade was the biggest Democrat shill in Hollywood, um, anti-George W. Bush, uh, an Obama, you know, it was almost erotic, the love he had for Obama and the despise he had for Trump. I mean, this guy really is a liberal first, a comedian second. But he was on the show two nights ago, and holy cow, this is what the kids say, red pills. This is someone who has had the scales fall, and f fall from his eyes. Uh, do, we, do we have that compilation you put together for my monologue? Which is better? You're, you're... Okay. Okay, let's play. So this is straight from, from the show's own YouTube channel. Take a look. And I was really hoping that like in 1918, they'd be like, drink a tincture of mercury and butterfly juice. <laughs> like you were, I was hoping it'd be like some bizarre thing. And I'm like, we've come a long way, baby. It's the exact same. How do you feel about the science now? Well, so I will say this. I, I, and I honestly mean this. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. 
And that's kind of... Hold on one second. No, 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 no. Now, listen, listen. I'll, it's I'll, coffee. I wouldn't I'm, do that I'm to you. I wouldn't for, do that to you. I'm so what, what do you, takes, well, what, do you what, 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 what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so this perhaps was, there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab? There's an investigation. A chance? Well, I'm, I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there was evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease... <laughs> is the same name as the lab. <laughs> that's just that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait, okay, wait, okay. Wait a second, wait a what about this? What about wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right, John. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could be. So there you have it. Uh, and he goes on, and Stephen Colbert becomes increasingly uncomfortable with it and uh, pushes back a bit. But you can't push back against the boss, the boss of that world, the boss of late night snark liberal comedy is John Stewart. And I have to say, I hated it for 15 years. But when he's puncturing the foolish pomposity of the trust the science left, the the science is evolving left. It is fun to watch. Um, I thought he was really funny there. But yeah, um, what's so incredible about that is if that had been said by Steve Bannon on his War Room podcast, um, that would have caused him to be deplatformed in many places. In fact, he was deplatformed in many places. If that was on our show, we would be cut off from YouTube. But now it's sort of cool. Uh, because a cool guy said it. I think the reason that works is because uh, they achieved their goal with the pandemic, which was China destroyed the economy of the West. China did a, the worst blow to civil liberties in the West in almost a century. Um, and uh, Trump was removed from office, both by having the economy dashed, but also that the pandemic provided the pretext for mail-in voting. So mission accomplished. So yeah, let the, uh, you know, late night entertainers put on their clown nose and make some jokes now, blow off some steam that way. Um, let me read some more Super Chats coming in. Um, rocks for any truth bomb thrown to the lemmings, yeah. Uh, and they liked it because it's just, it is rather ridiculous to, 
to think the Wuhan Institute of Virology, nah, it's probably got nothing to do with them. J.K. Howling, now Democrats decide it doesn't hurt Trump somehow, but want it to be the Wuhan lab. Now Stewart just happens to promote it. Chris's kingdom, Colbert tanked, and now he has to kowtow to the Democrats for it's the only audience he has left is left. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think these days, um, and again, partly because a lot of these late night talk shows had a big studio audience and that was sort of like part of it. Can you call up Tim Dillon on Jimmy Fallon? Um, so many of these produced late night talk shows in the studio audience in New York or LA were really little more than corporate PR for the latest Hollywood movie or the latest Hollywood uh, record, you know. So they would have some actor on and as part of the contract they had to promote the movie and then <clears throat> Jimmy Fallon or Jon Stewart or whoever could ask a few pretend personal questions to make it seem like it was actually a real interview, but it was just PR to promote the movie. Um, and the jokes were always meh, because as we've gotten woker and woker as a culture, you can make fewer and fewer jokes about things. I think that's one of the reasons why Saturday Night Live is so unfunny, partly because they had Trump arrangement for four years, but partly because you're not allowed to be funny. Um, so, but here's my point. When these shows, Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert, no longer had their studio audience. They broadcast from home, right? They would set up like a little home studio in their living room. But that ended the mystique because now they were just like some YouTuber. And now content is the decider because now you don't have the big orchestra there. You don't have the, I guess you still have some graphics, but you don't have the big wow moments. It's just you. Are you funny at all? Some of them are painfully unfunny. Now, they have writers still. But there was a great leveling. And I think YouTube comedy, at least those who haven't been deleted, is much edgier, funnier, and it's actually becoming commercially viable. There's a comedian out there who is so dirty, same as Tim Dillon, and I'm sort of afraid to play some of his clips because he swears a lot, and he just throws in little bombs from now and then, but my God, is he funny. And he did a video about Jimmy Fallon. He actually did a podcast about him. And then they later on threw in some visuals that were very well done about the vacuity of it. And so I wanna go ahead, what are you gonna say, Justin? That's the one, that's the one then. So here's, now I wanna warn you, there's a lot of swearing in here. I don't actually, I don't actually know that, but if it's Tim Dillon, they're swearing. Um, and there's probably a few gross out things, because just when he, I think he's got this need, when he's got the crowd going along with him, he says, I, this isn't right. I've got to say something so awful that the, I've got to keep them from liking me. He's very funny. He really is my favorite comedian. I will never be able to show you uh, his piece on Meghan McCain, which is 60 seconds 
of outrageous, you will hate yourself for laughing. It is so bad. He is so mean. But if you've ever thought, yeah, Megan McCain, yeah, not really. This will scratch that itch that you've been having for 10 years. You'll feel dirty and um, you wish you will have never seen it. But while you're watching it, you will laugh. We won't show you that clip today. I'd like to show you, how many minutes is it? Okay, we're not going to show all of it. But um, the way he goes out, I just, I just, let's just play a few minutes of this. Just, uh, jump right. Fans. And then you have this really elite sanctum of Hollywood, this really elite group of people. They don't speak ever unless they're at a red carpet or they're, you know, it's a very staged production where they go on Jimmy Fallon or they go on Seth Meyers and they sit in the chair and they have five minutes of banter. And it's like, well, well hey, I, you were in Italy recently. And there's nothing real about it. You know, you were in Italy. You know, I was in Italy when you were in Italy. You love when they do that. When somebody will be like, remember, remember when we were both in Italy? It's, it's so insane that this even still goes on. And the lead in to these shows is like, you know, a mass shooting or, you know, a senator who's been found to be taking a bribe or some scientist at Harvard who got caught sneaking biological samples to the Wuhan province of China, which no one really talks about. And then then we we go to uh, Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers who want to talk to somebody about the time they were both in Italy. It's crazy. You got to look at some old late night shows where guys like James Baldwin, the famous black intellectual, go out and talk about real shit. They talk about real stuff. But these late night shows, their their viewers are are falling, they're decreasing steadily, and they're terrified of upsetting anybody. They're terrified of losing a fat housewife from Galveston, Texas, who thinks it's fun that Jimmy Fallon plays with Muppets every night, and that he sings with the band and he does dances. And he brings out the kid from Stranger Things and they play hopscotch or whatever the fuck they do. I mean, it's cr imagine watching this and having a real job. Imagine having a real job where like you're working in a factory and a guy next to you is like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what to do. And you go home and you put on Jimmy Fallon and he's playing a game with Zac Efron or he's going to the Olive Garden with Post Malone. Like it's the so that's where these celebrities. That's the only time that they ever communicate with people is on these like late night shows, which are like a Test dystopian one, two, nightmare reality. Test one two three. In which one, one, insanely two, wealthy people eight, sit there and one, have two, meaningless convert like meaningless one, two, conversation. You know what the version I that was very much more produced. It had the clips to show how it excruciating it was that you know what if you can find I don't mean to impose and we, we have to go in a couple minutes but they show a clip of that Olive Garden thing and that's that's what made me furious because Jimmy Fallon went to the Olive Garden with Post Malone and he made like a big I'm at the Olive Garden and it was his and the contempt and disdain for working like that that was the monologue but the version I'm referring to had a lot more it showed the clip. Every time he he mentioned something, someone had dug up the clip. You know, it's not that important if you can't find it. But those are the most awful people in the world, those late night hosts. If you can find it, I want to show. Because he. what I like about Tim Dillon there, I don't know how he does it, but he is a, a blue-collar conservative. He's gay, by the way. 
he is right a right wing blue he's got his blue collar sensibility he's wickedly funny he's very successful i think on patreon he's making a million bucks a year alone and he'll never he'll never be on any of these shows and he talks about that you know we'll have to come back and do it another day Listen, don't worry about it. It's 12.59. We got to go in one minute anyways. You know, we'll do this properly. But it was, if you want to see the most masterful demolition of Hollywood liberalism and fake comedians and the fake narrative and the corporate... Tim Dillon's video, and there's a, there's a version out there that's produced to, I, and I relied on, because I, I don't watch these late night shows, so when he was talking about their visit to the Olive Garden, I had to see it, and I had to see how, how they were mocking the waitress, and mocking the fact they were at Olive Garden. I've been to the Olive Garden once. It's sort of a uh, low price, low cost, uh, you know, corporate Italian food chain, big deal. Uh, not everyone can afford to go to the fancy pants chain, but that part of the, <laughs> uh, it's like, I'm going to McDonald's to have a hamburger. And, and, and Tim Dillon could immediately spot that for what it was, which is sneering at people. I, you know, I never listen to podcasts. Who's got the time? How can you have time to listen to people talk for half an hour, an hour? I don't understand people who, like follow five podcasts. Do you do anything? Even if you listen to them at double speed, how do you do that in your life? But I listen to Tim Dillon. Um, I don't think there's anyone out there who is so sustainably funny. Like it's hard to be funny for five minutes. You know, the tight five. Can you go up there and do a tight five? Give me five minutes. How can you be funny for half an hour or an hour? He's a master storyteller. And he sees things that others miss. And he's friends with the left, but he is of the right. If you're looking for a comedian who isn't just going to tell you woke jokes, who's so unwoke, if you, if you doubt me, you know what? Jollibee. Even his take on Jollibee had me laughing for five minutes. Don't put that up now. If you, if you want to see what he's really like, Look at his, you know, just give me the screenshot. Don't, don't play any sound of his Megan McCain video. He is so funny. Um, I don't know why I'm promoting him so hard. We really can't work with him or use him. He's so foul-mouthed and obscene. But I think he's the antidote for our times. Like, he, there he is playing Megan McCain, uh, the insufferable the view personality like even this is outrageous even if you didn't know what he was saying and let me tell you if you if you heard what he was saying you would never forgive me for showing it to you um you know what can you grab i think it's on his twitter feed the wallet that's that is that is a pg version of it just a you know what we're out of time let's we'll say goodbye let me do tim dylan proper you know what i'm gonna do this is item like 42 on my to-do list. I'll do a Tim Dillon video that is broadcast friendly, so to speak, where, where it's not his just absolutely raunchiest stuff.
but that shows his political ideology. I've learned things politically from him. I, I think I follow politics more closely than most. I learned about Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein from Tim Dillon. Facts I didn't know. I mean, it was from him that I learned Bill Gates had this crazy idea of putting dust in the air, in the atmosphere, to darken the sun. Remember we did that in a, in a monologue like about a month ago? I, I thought I would have heard about that. Like, how did I miss that? Tim Dillon brought, because he's into, like, he thinks these Bill Gates types are evil, insane people. He did a brilliant podcast on Bill Gates. And I never listened to these things. But I couldn't stop listening because he's so damn funny. And... He's so he's he is a real person. And I ask you to tell me how many real people are there even on TV anymore? Uh, certainly not Stephen Colbert. And that moment from John Stewart there was the realest John Stewart's been in 20 years. That was the realest he's been in 20 years. All right. I'm rambling. And as you can see, I have an absolute love affair with Tim Dillon. My friends, it's 104 p.m. There's one hyper chat for five libraries from Enoch the Salty Pretzel. We got pushed into a two-tier society here in Israel by the government. They threw the Nuremberg Code in the trash. We, I will not forgive or forget. They gave themselves new tools that they are already being used against us. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, I, uh, you know, I like to think of Israel as a high-tech place. I like to think of it as a successful place. But... Um, being the most locked down or jabbing people with an experimental medicine the most. Uh, I, don't, I don't want, uh, I don't find that something to cheer about myself, but I fear that there's consequences we don't yet know. Well, that's our show for today. Do we have um, a dog vid? Indeed we do, curated by Justin, a dog video. I'll say goodbye now. I'm coming back tonight at 8 p.m. And um, I'm going to, my show tonight, by the way, is about some emails that Sheila received through an access to information request, emails, internal emails from the CBC on how they manage their comments section and delete anything they don't like. It's quite something. So I'm going to follow up on Sheila's report. And Sheila has Dr. Roger Hodgkins, uh, Hodkinson, excuse me, on the show, and he's a longtime friend of ours. So I'll say goodbye now, and here's a dog.